We're continuing our study of Galatians under the theme of the gospel uh, with chapter 1, verses 13 to 24, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. I'll put it up on the screen and read it for us, and then we'll study it. Paul writes, For you have heard my pre- of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my, of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. Then I went to Cilicia and Syria. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is God's word. So last week, we introduced this series on Galatians. Uh, The series is entitled The Gospel, and the tagline is, if it sounds too good to be true, you're starting to get it. Uh, In life, most things that sound too good to be true are too good to be true, but the gospel is not one of those things. In fact, it sounds so amazingly too good to be true that it must be divine. And so we're looking at this beautiful gem of the gospel from multiple angles in order to see the beauty that is contained in this completely unique message from God. Last week, we introduced the uniqueness of the gospel, that objectively, the gospel stands alone from all other worldviews or religions in how it conceives of how you are saved. In every other worldview, whether you would call it religious or not, you are required to do, to be, to act, to produce, to be enough, to pull it off, to try harder in order to be accepted and loved and acknowledged. You have to post the right things, say the right things, do the right things, light the right candles, whatever it is, in order that you will be brought in. Every worldview operates this way, except the gospel. The gospel uniquely says that actually your status has absolutely nothing to do with you. It depends completely on Jesus and his work for you. That you can be saved not because you're a good person and even not because you're a bad person, but because Christ was good in your place and credited you with his perfection. Now that is objective fact. You could look at all the different worldviews, all the different world religions, and realize that that is what the gospel gives you uniquely from every other. But what I want to do is I want to press this now into our subjective experience. Because the fact of the matter is that can be objectively true and unique, but does it really matter for you? I mean, to say it differently, there's a whole bunch of really unique ideas out there that are absolutely terrible for society. Just because an idea is unique doesn't mean it's a good idea. So what I want you to see today is that the gospel, in its uniqueness, also uniquely gifts you the answers to some of the most difficult questions that we ask ourselves in life. If I can open behind the curtain a little bit and show you what I'm trying to do today, I'm going to try to show you that the gospel can answer the vast majority of your spiritual questions. It can answer the vast majority of your spiritual struggles. It can give you an answer to most of the anxiety and depression and frustration and disappointment that you feel. That's where we're going today. So strap in. Last week we saw that the gospel is objectively unique. This week we're going to see that it is subjectively unique. In our experience, it gives us something that no other worldview can give us. And we're going to see that through the life of the Apostle Paul. 
Uh, Paul gave us a little bit of insight into his life. He talks about his former way of Judaism and how the gospel radically changed him. And so we're going to study his life under three points. If you have your note sheet, you see those uh, on there. The three things that he changed was he changed first from rigor to rest, secondly from human approval to heavenly approval, and finally from persecution to preaching. The gospel radically changed Paul in these three ways. So first, the gospel changed Paul from rigor to rest. Paul writes for us that we have heard of his previous way in Judaism, where he was advancing in Judaism behind, beyond many of his own age among his people, and was extremely jealous for the traditions, or zealous, excuse me, for the traditions of his fathers. Uh, Paul was an absolute success story. If they had magazines of like up-and-coming people uh, back at that time, Paul would have been on the front cover. This was a guy who, by all accounts, was pulling it off. I mean, he was putting in the extra hours. He was doing what no one else was willing to do. You can see he was advancing faster than people his own age. And he was successful. I mean, people thought he was going to be the next big thing in Pharisaism. But then the gospel. He says, but when God, who set him apart from his mother's womb and called him by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in him so that he might preach among the Gentiles, he did not consult any human being, but instead he did not go up to Jerusalem, but to Arabia. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, what does that mean? And to be honest, I'm not totally sure. I'm not sure what he does in Arabia. We don't really have a, concise, a, um, a consensus on what he does in Arabia. But I do know what he's not doing in Arabia. He's not being a Pharisee anymore. Like, everything that he had strived for, everything that he, he had, every bit of success that he owned and everybody knew he had because of his hard work, he threw it away. He was everything that he wanted to be, and then he gave it all up. This is an amazing place in Philippians where Paul says, all of the things that I earned in my previous life, all the zealous activity that I undertook, all the accomplishments that I could put on my trophy shelf, I consider them all a word in Greek that's skubula, which is a rather vulgar word, frankly, but is usually translated rubbish. He says it's all worth nothing compared to knowing the surpassing greatness of Christ. I bet every one of you has some expectations for your life. Some expectations of yourself and what you could be or do. Maybe it has to do with your relationships, like you're gonna be this type of spouse or this type of parent. Or maybe it's for the way that your body looks. I'm gonna live this long, be this healthy, weigh this much. Maybe it's at your job, I'm going to advance, I'm going to make this much money or at least stay in this job. Maybe it's in the social realm, I'm going to have this, type, this many friends, I'm going to be this type of person. At this stage of life, I'm going to have this kind of lifestyle. We all have these goals for ourselves. And what the world tells us is those goals are accomplishable by your hard work, by you putting in the effort, by you putting in the extra hours, by being willing to do what no one else is willing to do. Paul was willing to do that. He succeeded in it. And then he threw it all away. Because the gospel was more beautiful to him than whatever those things he expected of himself were. So I ask you, uh, what expectations of yourself do you have that really bother you because you're not living up to them? What are those things that you really think, I should be like this or be able to do this or have this, but I don't, and I'm frustrated by it? If you don't have the gospel, then you only have yourself to blame. You should have worked harder. You should have tried harder. You should have put in more time. You shouldn't be so easily, uh, easily viced. But if you have the gospel... 
then you can know that accomplishing that thing is not worth it. To say this differently, um, I know I'm I'm starting to date myself because I'm getting a little bit older, but do you guys remember when we used to say hashtag goals on stuff? Remember this? Like we would put it on our tweets or on our Facebook posts or our Instagrams. We would see something that we really admired, something that we thought was worth doing, and we would put hashtag goals on it. For those of you who are uninitiated, that just means I think that's awesome and I wish I could be that. We all have those things. The question is, what happens when your hashtag goals aren't reality? Are you anxious? Are you frustrated? Are you disappointed? Are you angry at yourself? The gospel can set you free from that. It can say, even if you don't lose that weight or make that job or get that special someone in your life, or if your kids don't obey you, or if your spouse doesn't love you anymore, it doesn't matter because you're already loved and accepted in Jesus. He has called you by his grace. He has given you that love unconditionally. You don't have to be something else. He baptized you when you were nothing. The gospel can set you free. That anxiety you feel of not living up to your own expectations of yourself. The gospel moves you from rigor to rest. You know, I said I don't really know exactly what Paul was doing in Arabia, but I'll give you my guess. My guess is he was detoxing. He was detoxing from a life of running around doing the next thing in order to prove himself. And I bet for at least a little while, he just sat there and enjoyed the fact that God had called him and all of it was his work. Can you rest like that? Can you look at the things you want for yourself and say, it'd be okay if I never got that? Uniquely in the gospel, you can. So let's move on to the second point. We said that Paul also moved from human approval to heavenly approval. Uh, In the text, he says, When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Here's the important phrase. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Literally in Greek, it says, I was not going to consult flesh and blood, which means that who he instead was going to consult was God. Instead of looking for human approval when he heard the gospel, he immediately changed his orientation towards God and said, I no longer care what what people think of me. I care what God thinks of me. In fact, he'll say that in a really powerful way in one of his letters to the Corinthians where he says, I don't care what other people think of me. I don't even care what I think of me. I care what God thinks of me. And when you realize what Paul's previous life was, that's a powerful thing to say. Because Paul was succeeding among the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, I don't know if you can tell, are not really innovators. They really like the old stuff, doing it the old ways. And if you were willing to follow their rules, then you would advance among them. And that's what Paul was doing. He was living up to other people's expectations. But then the gospel... The gospel came into his life and completely changed his orientation from caring about what everybody thought of him and living up to the expectations of others, and it moved to God. Now, for some of you, that idea is absolutely foreign. Because you're living your life trying to please a hundred different people. You're trying to please your parents and their expectations of you, or your spouse, or your kids, or your friends, or your boss, or the nebulous thousands of people on social media. You're trying to please them with what you do and what you say. You're trying to live up to their expectations so that they will approve of you. So the idea of being able to say, I don't care what other people think, it's mostly aspirational, isn't it? It's not reality. You do care about what they think. But if you believe the gospel, you don't have to. You can uniquely say, 
I actually don't care about what they think of me because what God thinks of me is that I am completely forgiven and holy because of what Christ has done for me. I'm loved apart from anyone else's opinion, but only in God's opinion. To maybe say it differently, every one of us has an audience that we're performing for. Every day we're trying to live up to the expectations of some person or group of people. Who's your audience? Who's that person or group of people that you know deep down you're trying to live to please them? I know who it is. You can ask me if you want. I won't tell you up here. But for every one of you, you have that audience. And I want you to just for a second consider that if God is actually your audience, what does that make them? Unimportant. Like their opinion of you does not matter because Christ already says, you are mine. Paul went from human approval to heavenly approval, and you can too because you have the unique gospel that does not depend on you. Which brings us to the third point. Paul went from persecution to preaching. Of course, you see in the text that he went from a previous way of life where he was intensely persecuting the church of God to a life where he became arguably the church's greatest evangelist of all time. But I want you to consider a question. Um, Why did Paul persecute the Christians specifically? Like what about this small upstart, not really politically involved, not really socially influential group, so irked Paul that he had to round them up and put them in prison and kill some of them? Why did they bother him so much? I wonder if it's because the very essence of Christianity struck at the heart of who Paul saw himself to be. Here's Paul, super religious, super successful guy. Everything that he's had, he's earned for himself. And here's this little group that says, actually, that doesn't matter. You're valued and loved not because of your effort, but because of Christ's effort on your behalf. And it struck right at the core of Paul and his self-identity. So he needed to do everything in his power to change them. You ever had this experience? Maybe it's because I'm a parent, but I see it a lot with parents. So like one group of parents will, will say, this is how we raised our children. They make some sort of parenting decision. And every other group of parents who did something different immediately assumes that they think that they hate their children for doing something different. Like one group will say, you know, we're going to homeschool our kids. And every parent who ever put their kids in school thinks, they must think I hate my children. That's not what you're saying. But we take it personally when somebody else doesn't do the same thing as us. And maybe you're not a parent, or, or maybe you were a parent a while back, and so it's a little bit in your history, but uh, isn't this something we do in our marriages? And how many of you who are married have thought to yourself, or even said, if only you thought like me, if only you did what I wanted? How many of us thought that politically? We look at people on the other side of an issue from us and thought, if only they would think like I do. And so we vigorously try to change them. We might not call that persecution, but it's the same impulse. We may never kill a person or put somebody in prison like Paul did, but it's the same impulse. I need you to change in order to feel good about myself. Isn't that the case? Oftentimes we need others to change in order to feel good about ourselves. That's what Paul needed until he heard the gospel. The gospel, which uniquely told him, actually, there aren't good people and bad people. There are only bad people and bad people are saved by Jesus because bad people are all that there are. And so you don't need to change anybody because Christ has already paid for everybody. And so instead of being a persecutor of the Christian church, he became a proclaimer of this message. You don't have to change because Christ has already paid for you. You're free. You don't have to. 
Can I apply this to us a little bit? I think sometimes Christians are surprised when people are bad. Usually it starts in here and then it moves out there, but we all kind of have this this surprise in us that, that people do bad things. The gospel should never let us believe that. The gospel uniquely says every single person is completely corrupted by their sin from the moment they are conceived. They only have a will to do evil until the Holy Spirit indwells them and can cause them to do good. Maybe if we had this attitude towards each other, towards our family, towards our society, that we just expect everybody is going to be bad. And then praise God when they're not. Preach the gospel to bad people because bad people are all that there are, and the gospel is what changes them. And praise God when they believe it. That's what Paul experienced. That's what Paul was changed from, from being a persecutor to a proclaimer, a person who said, you don't need to change for me, but God is willing to change for you. And so let's summarize a little bit. Isn't it the case that most of our spiritual problems fall into one of these three categories that we just went through? Either we're not living up to our own expectations, we're not living up to someone else's expectations, or someone else not living up to our expectations. I mean, just take a moment. Think about that. Isn't it whatever is disappointing you or frustrating you or angering you or bothering you right now, it fits into one of those three categories? Of course, it's not every spiritual problem. And the gospel has more things to say. But if we're just trying to cover a large swath of our problem as humanity and the gospel's answer to it, is this not the answer? You're free. You're forgiven. The gospel does not depend on you, which means you don't have to live up to your own expectations. You don't have to live up to anyone else's expectations. And you are free to not care if other people don't live up to your expectations. So let me finish then with two thoughts. Uh, An objection and then a vision. First, the objection. Somebody might say to this, um, if you start telling people that they don't have to live up to their own expectations and they don't have to live up to other people's expectations and no one has to live up to their expectations, isn't that just going to lead everybody to sin? Like they're just not going to care and they're going to do whatever they want. That's a fair objection. Uh, my answer is, they were doing just fine doing whatever they wanted before we preached the gospel to them. But the gospel uniquely has the power to change a person. The law causes people to rebel. The law causes people to despair. The message that you have to pull it off exhausts people. But the gospel uniquely invigorates people with the message that everything you need, you already have in Christ because Christ is risen. Which means everything you have, everything you can do, you are free to give away to others. So let me paint a vision for you. If you want a worldview that is based on being enough, on living up to expectations, whether your own or somebody else's, you will inevitably end up with a world that is full of anger, disappointment, frustration, depression, and anxiety. Because somebody will not live up to somebody's expectations, and that will cause a rift between people. You won't say enough prayers, do enough good, say the right things at the right time, something will break down. But if you have the gospel, if you have the message that Christ has died, that means you are forgiven, and that everyone else, all these sinful people in this room and out in that world, are also forgiven by Jesus, that all they need to do is simply believe that that's true and it's all credited to them, then you will have a community of love, patience, generosity, kindness, because no one of us will see us ourselves as any better than anyone else. 
we will all see ourselves in light of Jesus, who has been perfect for all of us. So stop plugging your life into a potato. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us this gospel, which sets us free from the expectations of the world and of ourselves. We pray that this gospel leads us to love our neighbor generously, with patience and kindness, and the same forgiveness that you've shown to us. Help us to plug into this power source that our life is a life of not having to, but freely and willingly getting to, so that your love can be spread, so that goodness can happen, all for the sake of your name. Amen.